Hey everybody, thanks for checking out Bleach Mouth Postscript. My name is Larry. On this podcast, I generally have a guest each episode, and they come armed with five pieces of music. You know the deal. It can be an LP, it can be an EP, it can be a song. It does not matter what it is, as long as we're talking about music. And on this episode, uh, I talked with Brian Ristow. Brian was the bass player for uh, Boston hardcore band Ten Yard Fight, and is a frequent contributor to 185 Miles South podcast, a pretty good hardcore podcast um leaning mostly towards west coast stuff but definitely worth your time uh there's a lot of fun uh you know to be had listening to that podcast they you know in fact i just did a grindcore draft and i am pretty certain that i stole the draft idea from them I'm, i i don't 100 know but i think i did steal it from them anyway uh, Brian's originally from Cleveland. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends and a mutual acquaintances, but we had never met uh, in person. And I believe this is the first time we ever had a conversation um, that I can recall. But it was really nice talking to him. He's a super nice guy, and I had a lot of fun with this. This is a you know, uh, is pretty fun episode, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. I don't recall a single time you and i have ever run into each other i don't and think i so. know i know we've been probably at the same shows a billion times we could probably go over what shows we saw at the babylon <laughs> go-go at the old peabody's at all those places at fantasy at the empire and you know i we we've never met you know so i've it's, it's finally yeah. nice to meet you i mean yeah i think you i think you know clint but yeah, I know Clint um, from the year I did at University of Akron. Him and I had mm-hmm. him and I had a biology class together. Like, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, like, because um, I left in like the fall of '90 for the army, mm-hmm. and because uh, I know, because you know, like I grew up with like Russ Cerny and the Boulder guys. Okay. So like, so like, I know, like, I knew of you from that, like, from from knowing Russ. But yeah, I don't think I don't think we really have ever met. I know Russ. Russ gave me a sweet Project X shirt one time that he had bootlegged. <laughs> yeah, I got one too. <laughs> yeah, I liked Russ. I how's he doing? Have you heard from him? I haven't talked to him in a couple of years. Yeah, I think the last time I saw him was in. Uh, maybe 96 or 97 he happened to pop into the kinkos i was managing on u of a campus and i was like russ he's like hey you know we chatted for a bit and then haven't heard or seen from him since you know actually you know um the last time i saw russ actually might have been 
the last time, well, no, probably not the last time, but um, Russ came to um, a show we played in Columbus, and you guys, Un Unholy 3 was on that show, too. It's like, in my eyes, um, fast break, 10-yard fight. I'm pretty sure you guys are on it because I, I I bought I bought your CD at that show. I I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Was it at Legion or was it Art Force One or? It's a good question. It was in like a warehouse sort of. Sort Art of Force One. I yeah, because we had played there twice. We played with you guys and Crudos. My God, I can't believe how many shows we've played that I don't remember. I'm beginning. <laughs> I'm so fucking old. But yeah, yeah Russ, Russ just randomly showed <laughs> up at that show. Had a bunch of bootlegs in his trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think I finally, speaking of bootlegs, I think I finally zeroed in on the person who bootlegged that actual Project X 7-inch in the in like 90 or 91 that I got my hands on. I think it was a buddy of mine from Buffalo. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, speaking of projects, bootlegs and things like that. Did you come back to Cleveland right away or I did because uh, my mom was my mom was uh, still living there at the time. Mm -hmm. um, she does again. But uh, yeah, my mom. I was with my mom and then she got uh, a big job opportunity um, to transfer to Boston. Oh, wow. Um, and then so she. She was going to do it. And then she told me, like, she gave me the option because, like, I was I was going to school. I was at Akron. I was not into it. I, like, was, like, having, you know, just kind of having kind of a rough year and not really making anything happen. And yeah. she gave me the option. She was like, you know, you can stay here in the house, like, and live in the house. Or she's like, you know, you know, if things, if you want to, like, switch it up, try something new, she's like, you can come to Boston and we'll, uh, you know, she could, she's like, you can live, you can live with me in Boston. And, uh, yeah. So I took her up on that. And then she ended up transferring back to Ohio like mm -hmm. after a couple of years. And I, I just stayed up here. Yeah. You'd already placed then, some roots down and we're like, but then I like kind of, I kind of bounced back and forth. Cause I like, I moved back like 
2002, finished uh-huh. school. I finished school, but then once once I finished school, I moved back up here. And I've been here since. Yeah. You like Boston a lot, then I take it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I actually, we, my wife and I keep kind of kicking around, um, moving back, moving back to Ohio now, although mm-hmm. politically... Politically, we're not so sure. <laughs> well, it's it's a weird thing. I keep telling people that, you know, Ohio is Ohio and it's gotten progressively more conservative over time. But I always tell people, don't mistake Northeast Ohio for the rest of the state. It's it's wildly different. But that being said, you know, I live in the suburbs of Akron now and it's it's kind of a nightmare where I'm at. You know, uh, it's 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 wild it's not anything i'm accustomed to you know so um you know i mean yeah i wouldn't blame you if if the political climate you know kept you away i will say however that political climate or no it's pretty damn affordable man it's you know and you have a that's, lot of amenities here you know within a few hours drive if there's nothing in the northeast area that you want to get into you can there's columbus pittsburgh detroit you know well you know we were um the place, the place I lived before I moved back to back to Massachusetts last time, uh, we, we lived in Sagamore Hills and we lived right on the yep. national park. Oh, like, wow. So our backyard was actually the national park. Yeah. The, the metro parks and national parks in this, in this area are great. I love them. I absolutely love them. You know, there's a million of them, which is kind of odd given, you know, again, the political climate, you figured they wouldn't like you know, fund that sort of thing, but it seems to be a priority for a lot of people. So, yeah. Um, and my mom was in Medina now and it's like all farmland there. So I'm over in Wadsworth. I butt up right against it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's like right yeah. there. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, Wadsworth, you know, is in Medina County and um, I guess geopolitically it's like supposed to function as a suburb for Cleveland, but I'm literally 10 minutes from Akron. Like yeah. I'm right there. I'm right by the highway. I'm like, Okay, you know, so uh, it's but it's it's pretty wild out here to put it mildly and to be kind of frame it in a dumb way. That's all I can really say. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been actually the past two years. I've been I've been back in Ohio quite a bit, um, and uh, yeah, like driving around Medina, seeing all the signs, all the all the Trump stuff, all the, all the anti Biden, still anti Hillary stuff for some reason, still mad about that. Like, it's just they, like, they just haven't bought the new sign. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. So yeah, it's just kind of crazy out there. So let's talk about awesome Ohio things. Let's talk about that false hub demo. I know oh. you changed your list three times, but I'm like, that's fine. Cause I knew you were going to want to talk about some cool stuff. And um, there's one on here that I'm really glad you put on here because um, this isn't it, but um, well, I'm glad you have this for sure. Um, but there's one on here that I, I'll segue into next just because it's it's a particular love of mine for a specific reason. Um, but the False Hope demo, my God, that band is so good. It's it's crazy to think that how with everything, everything being available and everything being reissued, that no one no one has put that out. No one no one has gone through I have the dirt on that. that. Well, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. But I mean, it's like something that I really wish was just available. Because 
aside from a couple tracks that you can find ripped. And I think I actually, at the, at the beginning of technological advances, I had a, I had a CD recorder. So it was like a component CD recorder that was part of your stereo that you could record. You could, and I did a lot of recording vinyl onto CDs and then, you mm. know, riffing it to MP3s and I rigged it up so I could burn um, both of the false hope CD or both of false hope demos. And I don't know where those CDs went to or oh, where no. the, or where the digital tracks are, but they were ripped onto like, um, like each side was ripped onto one track. So, yeah. I mean, so you, if you had to listen to the whole side, if you had to listen to it, like, Oh no, <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, that was like the only thing I have aside from, like I said, like the couple of tracks that are, um, you know, that have been on comps that have made their way to, to streaming. I've always argued with people that a better representation of Cleveland and Northeast Ohio at large really were, you know, as far as like the way people were and how they viewed music and how the bands went from there were false hope and hyper as hell. Like it was just a far better representation of people's attitude towards music. You know, I mean, you know, Cleveland went through its ebbs and flows and one could argue that Ringworm sort of carries that sort of thing and and of course integrity but really it kind of comes down to false hope i mean they're they're having their feet in metal and hardcore in a way that you know a lot of bands try and just don't aren't really successful at is is kind of a thing and they were doing it you know at the height of crossover even though they i don't really ever consider a crossover band you know I mean, and, but the other thing is, is there's like, there's like the through line of false hope that's like eighties and nineties Cleveland, yeah. you know, just music in general. It's just like the through line. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's because of Dave, because, you know, Dave being in the guns and then mm-hmm. Dave being in false hope yep. and then, and then, you know, and then Chris and Dave being in integrity at certain points, which was my yeah. favorite lineup. Yeah, that's that's crazy that, lineup. The Melnix really and Chris good. is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah, and the just the fact that I was talking last night um, to a couple people about False Hope actually, and uh, you know the fact that they just opened every show, you know, so like if there was a big show coming through town, um, you know, more than likely, you know, 
it was false hope and or the spud monsters that opened every show which yeah. is such a, like it's like such a dichotomy because you have you have false hope being this thing that that people who were there uphold is like the best band from that time yep. then you have the spud monsters which although you know the joe gizmo demo and i think the the, the second demo after that um i haven't listened to that one in a long time but like but like that they, they were they, they were playing shows and like doing really well when you say spud monsters people think of whatever that latest incarnation of spud monsters is yeah which is kind of hilarious but like thinking of like the old like chris andrews joe gizmo days like that was they were like they were they were playing a lot of shows too and they and they they worked their way to it um the other thing that i always thought was funny is like confront would get some of those big those big theater shows like too yeah. which is like totally i remember confront playing with the circle jerks at the fantasy theater and and like all the all the all the all the confront crew guys were just like like getting thrown out and keith morris was like running to the side door and letting them back in that was that was a that was a good time <laughs> i you know i mean before mine's eye there was chris's warped records thanks to chris Andrews, and there were so many records i bought from that place you know when i was really kind of finally taking a dive into you know hardcore punk in a way that was a little more i guess for lack of a better way to describe it substantive you know um but yeah, I mean, you know, False Hope was on a lot of those shows. You know, Spud Monsters, I haven't always been kind about my feelings about them, but they actually, you know, they have their charms. And yeah. It was, it was, it was a it was of a time and a place. And, you know, um far be it for me to slander a band that actually wasn't, I mean, wasn't half bad, but just the aesthetic and part of it was just not, it just didn't hit me in the way that false hope or domestic crisis did or confront, you know? So oh, it was kind of, no. a, it was kind of a thing, a different thing for me, you know, but you know, they, they kind of, I would kind of lump them in sort of that Murphy's law, Ludacrist, um, you know, even like MOD, SOD, just kind of like, they were like, they tried to, they were like, I think they were serious as musicians, but I think they also wanted to have fun and didn't take like lyrically they weren't serious. Yeah. But I think that they I think that they, you know, were trying to be, you know, a band that was doing stuff just like they just weren't, you know, didn't didn't really have the same sort of direction, you know, like probably like just sort of the same mentality of the other bands. And and it shows because the bands that we talk about are, you know, false hope and integrity and ringworm and yeah. all those guys but they were all they were all playing those big shows together so yeah i know um a band false hope had opened for a quite a number of times well maybe not quite a number of times but definitely a few times was agnostic front and they they, yeah. they had a they had a tight relationship with them and the story i heard was that through af there was the possibility of false hope doing something larger than what they were doing but uh Dave was like not having it, not Araka, but uh, Evie. The vocal, yeah, Evie was just like, nah, I'm not, you know. And I respect it, but I'm kind of like, man, what would that LP have sounded like? What would that have been, you know? So, you know, but um, I'm always, I, I always wish I could have, could have seen that, that thing occur for them. Well, I think that the last time I saw, the last time I saw False Hope. Um, which would have been sometime in probably late 90 or it might have even been early 91 um 
you know, it seemed like they were going like in a, in a bit of a different direction too, like kind of getting away from, from like fitting in with the agnostic front. And I think that, you know, what Dave's, Dave's band that he did after, but he did after false hope, brave new world, you know, was, I think pushing it sort of, you know, it was very early nineties. I remember the, the one time I saw them or, or heard them or whatever, but like, yeah, it was, it was very of the time and you could kind of see like, like a thing, things were changing. So I could see, I could see Dave not wanting to like, you know, be on like some big hardcore label, which, you know, curiously enough, like they were, they were a band that kind of fit in everywhere. Yeah. Then at the same time, it's like, what, what label, you know, what sort of label would that, would that work on? If, if we were talking like four years earlier, um, it would have been maybe like something like combat or combat core. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Oh, Hawker's a, Hawker's a good, I feel like, you know, cause like ver verbal assault and seven seconds and, and token entry all ended up on Hawker. So Hawker actually makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they, there, there, there was a, probably a, a bigger spot for maybe a couple of years or, but they, I think by 90, if they'd done an LP. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I'd be real, I was, I've always been wishing for that full length, you know, had happened. I know that, there's been talk of all this stuff be re being reissued on vinyl. You know, they did the hyper as hell one. And I know it's not apples to apples comparison, but that, that record sold pretty well, you know? So I think false hope would do even better. You know what though? Honestly, in 2023, like, would I buy a false hope LP? Of course. But like the, why is it just like, it needs to be put on some, some like, streaming platforms like i think that people would i think there's there's enough nostalgia factor i think if it did well if, if they got a reaction to that and then maybe they would be more apt to, to release it but i just i just want to be able to listen to it you know like, oh yeah for sure for sure i i just don't i just don't know about the streaming availability because the people i know who are involved are like they could care less about that i'm like i know okay but at the um, same time at the same time it's like if you think about it because the one that would be the best thing to do but, but the one record we always talk about, you know, why hasn't it been, you know, why hasn't it been re reissued or anything is like the straight ahead LP or the right. straight ahead 12 inch like that. Why is like, and it's like Craig has always been like, oh yeah, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen or whatever. Cause like that really is basically, I mean, I know it's the other guys, but it's like, I feel like Craig is the, the driving force on that. And like, that's like, that's not even streaming. Yeah. So, although, you know, the first, you know, it looks like Al Brill's come around on on SSD. People hearing SSD in the 21st century, so anything can happen. What's that coming out on that Trust label? Yeah, but like they did the those circle jerks reissues and stuff, right? Yeah, the, the, the um, that's um, I think it's Joe Nelson and um, I want to say that Matt from Judge is involved in that too. So it's like, but yeah, they do. So I don't, I don't really buy reissues. Um, yeah. like reissued LPs um, just like not it, it's not like any big stance I take it's just like I don't I would rather just have the original and like right. but I like that the stuff's available and I like that they they do make sure that that stuff is on streaming as well um, but um, you know trust doing that stuff but Al's whole thing was like if you weren't there at the time like you don't get to deserve 
to like have it or hear it or whatever which is such a crock of shit but then like you know get People it away can't help their chronology man i mean come on <laughs> get it away is on spotify now and yeah. like um i'm sure kids will will be up there soon too um i was i was supposed to go to uh the the bridge nine the bridge nine warehouse store yesterday for record store day mm-hmm. uh not to not to date this um but for record store day yesterday oh, and uh al and uh Al and Nancy were were gonna be then apparently like they're gonna be uh telling stories. I haven't heard how that's gone, but um but yeah, like Al Al was like gonna be holding court and telling stuff. But yeah, it seems like he's definitely as he's gotten older, he's come around on on people being or on that music being available. Yeah. Which is nice because I mean I I myself would also rather have an original copy, but there are certain records, not those ones, because I've got my copies that I need. Um, there's some records where I'm just not willing to break the bank for it, man. Like, give me the reissue and I'll listen to it on streaming, and I'm cool with that. You know, if it if it's gonna, you know, I I just can't justify it sometimes. Yeah, you know I mean, I think the most expensive record I bought was uh, we've got the Neutron Bomb single. <laughs>
got that for 40 bucks and that's not even that much but it's like it actually seems like a deal yeah it's a very good deal but i'm just even i I was looking i'm like do i really want to spend 40 dollars on this you know but then i'm like okay you can't mess with this so well you know um the other thing is i i ordered i pre-ordered a new release the other day and with shipping it was it was almost forty dollars. So, like, if if you can find if you can find like a uh, you know a uh, a Danger House single for forty dollars, I think that that's a that's a steal at this point. Uh, my buddy owns a record store in Akron, and he set it aside for me. He knew I'd want it, so and he was like, "I didn't pay much for this, honestly." So I'm gonna transfer that to you because I want somebody to enjoy this. And like, Great. those are good friends to have. Yeah. So, but um. So I was going to segue into the other bit, but let's segue into Agnostic Front, Victim in Pain. Um, you kind of did that in Cro-Mag's Age of Coral because you couldn't decide between the two, but let's talk about Victim in Pain. Because um, that, not- that that record is hands down my favorite AF record. It always has been. So My favorite AF record. Um, it's not so much that I couldn't decide between the two. Um, when I first really was uh, introduced to hardcore, um, I was handed... So handed two tapes and one had age of quarrel and the first Murphy's law LP um, uh, on one tape was the first Murphy's law and age of quarrel. And the other tape was victim and pain and um, earth AD. So like I kind of discovered agnostic front and Chromags at the same time, which is fitting because of how important they are for New York hardcore. But I think as time goes on, um, I think as time goes on, you know, I still probably listen to Victim and Pain as much as 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 any record from that time. Whoa! 
hate to say it, but I'm the more you learn about the people who made some of those records, like the less I want to listen to Age of Coral. It's funny. Yes. yes. Um, it's, as it's much true, as I love the Chromags. Um, but I yeah, heard, I just, with, with that particular, I just hold on to the memories in a way it made me feel when I heard it. Yeah. And and I took it at face value, like some of the things I was getting from it, the things that were important to me, I hold on to those. And I just, it, it's, it's truly separating the art from the artist, you know, yeah. like um, none of them are really sympathetic characters, you know, um, where, and, and I actually like best wishes. And the ironic thing is that I really only truly like victim in pain yet. I'm much warmer to AF because of Vinny and Roger and how they are, you know, as people. And it, it's kind of hard not to root for those guys, even if I don't like a current record at all. You know, I'll be like, oh, I, I, I just can't listen to it because it's not for me. They're not making it for me. Right. But um, I'm still like, good for you, man. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> I, I, I root for them, you know, in a, in a quietly active way. Whereas I don't yeah. feel the same way about the Chrome eggs. I'm like, ah, okay. You know, you know, and that's the thing is I've heard and witnessed firsthand, like just how generous the agnostic front guys are. Um, you know, when they uh, were with false hope from what they I were with false hope, um, they were with wrecking crew. Um, yeah. when, uh, when, when I moved up here and we would, you know, um, when I got to know like the 454 guys and whatever, and Ralphie was, would tell stories about their roadie also roadied for agnostic front. Um, and they told, told me stories about that. And then, um, ourselves, uh, when we were on tour in 97, our van broke down in Arizona and we were stuck there for a couple of weeks and ignite and AF were playing a show, a big, a big show in, in Phoenix. And, uh, we, we asked to get put on it and promoter put us on it. And when Roger and Vinny found out our situation, they were like, Oh, you guys are stuck here. They're like, do you want to come stay in our hotel? Like, do you want to like do whatever? They were like, we have a non-smoking room. So like you guys, all you straight edge guys can stay in the non-smoking room. Um, and then like a couple months later, we played in New York and it was the same day as another show that was happening um, at Coney Island high, you know, great, great idea to book something when another show is happening. And Roger comes walking over to our show and I, he comes over and he says hi to me. And I was like, I was like, I couldn't imagine that Roger was coming to see my band play. And I was like, I was like, Oh, were you over at that other show? And he was like kind of offended. Cause he was like, he's like, no, I, I came to see you guys. Like, and I was like, I felt, I was like, I was like, well, that just doesn't compute in my mind that like yeah. Roger would want to come. But um, you know, that record to talk about the record, like just yeah. front to back is it's perfect. And I really think that I think that that is if someone asked you, like if the aliens came and you had to tell them what hardcore was, I think that's literally the record that I would give them and be like, this is what hardcore sounds like. This is the blueprint. Like that's, it that's has... a really that's a, that's a really good pick. Um, a buddy of mine asked me what my pick was. I said, they're not as blasphemous as it might sound, they're not a top 10 band for me, but I said, I'd give them a minor threat album and not, not, not the album, but like the, the two seven inches on the one, you know, I said that, but victim in pain. Yeah. Well, I could back that 100%. That makes perfect sense to me. 
that's like solid logic, man, you know? I mean, and I, <laughs> I would say like if you were making the Mount Rushmore, Victim in Pain is on there and my, I would I would have minor threat on there and then, you know, argue, like, trying to figure out the other two, you know, could take could take ages, but like, well, but I mean, yeah, I think, I, yeah. I think with like, if I'm talking about like not my favorite bands and just bands that sort of epitomize hardcore, I think victim, <laughs> I've said victim in pain, um, a hot take for some of my friends, uh, group sex, um, great record, the, the two seven inches on one for minor threat. And, you know, um, maybe the negative approach seven inch. Cause I think that that seven inch had a huge impact on a lot of New York guys. I think. Yeah, I mean, Victim in Pain is definitely, it's just, it's so good. <laughs> it's perfect in the song links. It's perfect in its delivery. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of, you know, somebody could sit and try to pick out the flaws. I'm not one to do that, but um, it's it's just, a per- you're right, it's a perfect record. I, I think the flaws, whatever whatever flaws there there could be, I think the flaws actually um they kind of make it too you know like because yeah. because it's it's such a document of what those guys were doing at that time so like yeah you know it, it wasn't perfect music and it wasn't it wasn't like polished it no. was it was exactly what you know it, it's, it's exactly what it what needed it you hear it, it's yeah. what it needed to be it's what it needed to be i mean you know i mean perfect against what bad brains that's an unfair comparison you know and even yeah. even perfect against age of coral because those guys are all solid musicians you know i mean just you know but that's again an unfair comparison i mean chromags also had a couple years after that to hone that sound and af just said no nah, we're doing this seven inch and we're gonna do an lp that was and- you know that sense of uh to use a cliche that sense of urgency is like apparent you know and there's also, you know, Victim and Pain is just like it's the DIY aesthetic. You know, they're on they're on Rat Cage. They recorded it, you know, in a small stu- a small like unknown studio at the time, as opposed to, you know, Profile and you know the big the big studio and the yeah and and the production. 
um, which I would, I would argue that I would probably rather listen to the production on, like, if you heard age of coral with the, with the, um, victim and pain production. Oh my God. Could you imagine how awesome that would be? <laughs> well, I, I mean, but it's the, the Chromax demo, I think is yeah. the closest, the closest yeah. to that. Like how yeah. often when you listen to the demo versions and you're like, yeah, these are fucking ragers because yeah. they're ragers. This is like an impossible question, but I like to ask it anyway, since you have them paired, if you had to pick one of, of the two. Um, Somebody said you're not listening to one, the other one forever. And that's, you know, you're done. I think that this question would have been harder 10, 15 years ago, or maybe it would have been easier. I, I, I probably would have said age of coral all along. I'm picking victim in pain. Fair. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, mine's age of coral, but um, victim in pain. Yeah, that's, there's no wrong answer between the two, honestly. <laughs> I'm just always kind of curious about that sort of stuff, you know? I mean, yeah, high-level nerd shit, really. Um, of course. <laughs> um, I think the one thing, Age of Quarrel, just, just the standout, and it, this is a cliche as well, because everybody talks about it, it's just the drumming on that record is just 
it's obscene how good it is. Like it's truly like um he doesn't overplay, but somehow you can tell that he's doing way more than he he probably could have done. He could have just sort of phoned that in if he wanted to, but Mackie just kind of just destroyed it. And, and never mind the beginning of we gotta know, just like the whole record, you know. The whole so. record, um, there is a video of them playing some European open air festival. And it's, uh, it's, I think it's labeled as like Mackie cam or drummer cam. And basically, so the video, the whole, whole video is, is focused on Mackie. And then you kind of see the rest of the band in the crowd out in front. And you can just, you just watch him play. He, you know, he has his, how he play. I mean, it's, it's a more modern video, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, how he plays, he sit, he has his throne set really high and he like moves around a lot when he's playing, but he's just like on the beat. He's just like, just like he hits so hard. And it's just like, it's, it's, it is the perfect drumming for, for that record. I have a friend who only ever really marginally liked the Chromax. He's a few years younger than us. So it, it was a time and place thing. Right. Yeah. You know? And he decided he was just going to go see him at one of the more recent, you know, shows. And he said he watched uh, Mackie play the whole time. And he went out and, you know, put it on, put it on his Apple music right away. I was like, yeah, yeah, he says, I listen to it all the time. He goes, I really, he goes, I truthfully don't pay attention to much of the rest of the record. I just listen to his drumming, you know? And I'm like, yeah. he's, he's not a drummer. He's a guitar player. And there's plenty of guitar stuff on there for a guitar player too. But, you know, for him to be, taken aback by the drumming that much speaks volumes to how good he was on that record you know like you think of a song like malfunction which might actually be my least favorite song on the record but like mm -hmm. the drums he's just like a metronome and it's like the drums are just like perfect on that
it's weird because he's got his timing is is completely perfect. It's like a metronome, like you said, but it doesn't feel that way. There's a looseness to it to where it feels natural. A lot of my complaints it's about like, modern metal drummers is that they all sound everything sounds perfect. Like there's no human behind it. And again, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but Mackie is that tight, but it just feels open. Like he could take it anywhere he wanted to at any point, but he doesn't. And he just kind of swings one way. He plays with swing is what I'm getting at, you know, which is nice. When we were doing, when we were doing production on one of our records, um, we had, we had EK come, it was like Dean and EK and, came and was like listening to to the songs as we were playing through them and he he said that like you play he he's like he's like you want to play behind the beat he was telling the drummer to play like behind the beat because that's like what Mackie does so it's like it's like on the beat but it's just like I it's hard to explain but I, I no, know it's I, called like it's called like being playing behind the beat like there's a you know there's a guy I played with um named Ian he was in a band with that I was in after Don Austin and he was one of my favorite drummers to play with. Cause he played he, the way you just described is exactly the way he played. Yeah. And it was, it was really nice. Cause it just, it left everything open so that when I was writing lyrics and doing things vocally, I'm like, Oh, I can do more with this. Cause there's more room to work, you know? But yeah. So I, I know that I, yeah. I, I know that feeling. Yeah. Um. So let's shift to something less, uh, tough for lack of a better way to describe it. let's talk about this is the one i was going to segue to originally i want to talk about seven seconds walk together rock together because unpopular opinion that i've held that the only rec i've always respected them i don't dislike the crew i don't like skin i don't dislike skin and brains and guts but those records never did a fucking thing for me like and my friends all of me like are you fucking insane i'm like no, but I tell you what, walk together, rock together. That's the fucking jam. Like that's the one record. That's the only record of theirs I own, and I love it every minute of it. It's just fucking amazing. And uh, I'm really glad you picked that one because I would, I would expect somebody to pick the crew if they were talking about Seven Seconds, which you know is pretty cool that you picked that one. Um, the crew would have been two great seven inches. It's there's there's too many songs on the crew. Yeah. Um, I think that that might be wh why Walk Together hits better because it's, it is an EP. It, it's um, th the main reason I picked this record is because even though um, there's you know Trust Records recently did that Seven Seconds reissue, um, I feel like they got overlooked for a long time um, just because they had been around forever and, you know, they, they kept putting out records and I, I don't think people realize the importance that they had in the, in the mid eighties, mid to late eighties, as they were the unifying band. They were like the one band that everyone could agree on. I feel yeah. like, like, like they were the punk kids, the hardcore kids, the skinheads, straight edge kids even like skaters the skaters um even the the other thing because one of the other records i picked kind of speaks to this too is that because growing up where we did 
like when you think about like how many how many punk or hardcore kids did you go to school with or were in your town and there were plenty um, in my town but in my school my high school specifically yeah yeah and then two other guys and everybody else went to firestone high school or copley you know so I, and I mean, you, you obviously grew up in a much bigger place than I did. Cause I basically, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in Twinsburg. So like, you know, yeah. in a suburb, in a suburb halfway between, um, you know, Cleveland and Akron kind of that halfway point, you know, there was a handful of kids, but like how many metal kids were there and how many skaters were there? And then like how many, like, what we, we, we used to call, what we used to call them progressives. Like how yep. many of those, how many of those? <laughs> I don't, kids? I'm so glad you said that. I don't know anybody. They just say alternative people or people who are in alternative music. I tell people like progressives was a thing. They used to call yeah. it progressive music. And there was a difference between progressive music and rock music or progressive yes. rock. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so like, um, yeah. So like now I guess he would just call them like Brit pop kids, but like, sure. yeah. but like, yes, yeah, so, but like you had those kids and like, we all like we we it was basically us against the world mm-hmm. so like we all kind of had to to gel together and you would go and you like like bands that everyone liked seven seconds was one of them which i, I think that maybe maybe that that backs up the thing that everyone says is as later seven seconds comes on that they were like an rem band which is hilarious because they don't sound anything like rem no but that's like that's like the band that they were getting compared to um but yeah, I think that this record itself, I think that the songs are urgent. They have a message. another record that has great production yeah um um, you know for the longest time and this is one of those things too like what what was available to you like i never realized that it was just like a 12 inch ep um because i never had the record until like probably sometime in the 90s um you know i grew up with that the cassette that had like the 
the Pusshead artwork where it's like the picture that Pusshead colored over. Um, and like, that's what I knew. So it's like, it also has like the live tracks on the B side and it has like some of the songs from the other seven inches because that's, that's another thing is like Skins, Brains and Guts was pretty available. The crew was everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like you could go into any record store and the crew, there was a, there was a copy of the crew. It seemed like at, at that point in time. And then like new wind, the cassette at least was, was, was readily available. And then, and then walk together those seven inches between, um, between skins, brains and guts and, and the first LP, those were kind of not really that available. So like them playing the songs live, you at least heard those. So, but yeah, I think that, I think that that record, um, I think that record's great. I, you know, it does have, it does have like the tunefulness, um, you know, but it's still, it's still, it's still hard. It's still yeah. fast. Well, that hard. It's, it's as hard as seven seconds is really going to get, but it's like, it's like, it's still fast. It's still urgent. It's aggressive. Um, I mean, it's, it's, aggressive. It, it's aggressive without being hard. I think, you know, and I know that their message lyrically is they're, it's all about unifying themes, right? Yeah. But ultimately, I think what people were looking to when you talk about people all kind, everybody kind of being into it, was just based on the music alone. Yeah. I mean, because there are plenty of people in the world who don't read lyrics and don't pay attention to them, which I think is weird. But that's just me, you know. Um, and probably you agree. But yeah. Um, if you take the, if you take even if you take the message out, people were unified behind the songs. It was like you know, it was just. You know, and they were speaking to things on that record that a lot of people didn't talk about, no. you know, which, uh, you know, makes you rethink your shit sometimes about things you say and things you do, you know, and it wasn't overly preachy to me. I was like, well, you know, um, other bands that could, you know, you could beat them about the head with that cudgel of being preachy or whatever, but seven seconds never felt preachy to me. <laughs> wasn't like if you saw them live they you know he it was really just about like come on have fun sing along yeah like, like we're gonna we're gonna play like we're gonna play like 30 songs and we're just gonna rip through it and like yeah it wasn't like all of this stuff in between there wasn't like a lot of banter like you would think from a band that like is like so, supposed to be so super positive um and that's the thing is like they're just like a super positive band like and you see him and like Kevin, like, you know, um, they played they played here 
last year um that circle jerks uh that circle jerks negative approach tour and yeah. then circle jerks circle jerks got covid um so they booked like a last minute like club show that negative approach in seven seconds played and yeah they were like you know they're they're old it was, uh, and it was the exact opposite here uh seven seconds was off the bill because of covid and uh actually um the gluttons james from ringworm's other band played and it was kind of cool they opened up the negative approach played then circle jerks played and it was still fun i wish i could have seen seven seconds that would have been nice you know it was nice to see them in a small club again i saw them in last Cleveland. time last time i saw him was at the babylon so I saw them in Outface and Integrity. That was the last time I Ooh. saw them. Yeah. Um, I saw them at the Grog Shop. Um, the the new the new Grog Shop. Um yeah. the, where where it is now. Um I saw them there on what would that have been? Like oh five, maybe? Okay, yeah. Oh five or oh six yeah. they played they played um they played there and they were they were awesome and that was another one where they they played like 40 songs like i went i like i went and i was like oh i'm just gonna stand in back or whatever and then like you change your mind quick next thing you you know like i was just like the entire time i i walk out i'm like drenched in sweat and like came out of of mosh retirement as the kids have to say (laughs) you can't not sing along to those songs no they're 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 a great band like i said i don't have a great love for the other records, but I don't think they're bad, but that's the one I absolutely do love. I think it's, I, that's a record I can give to most anybody. And they'll find something appealing about it, even if they don't necessarily like it. He actually sings well in a way on that record that yeah. a lot of other vocalists in hardcore don't, you know? No. And that, that I think that's one of the things that's like, when you see them, like I've never, I'm sure they've had bad shows, but like, I've never not seen them that they didn't bring it. Like Kevin, Kevin saying like, Kevin's voice just always sounds so good live. You know, I I think the other thing that why they're, why they're so good live, because they have so many songs and it's like, they play the hits off of the crew. They play the hits off a of new wind. And it's not like, so like, yeah, if you like, you don't like those other records that much, there still are like a couple tracks on there that you're always going to be yeah. like, Oh, those are decent songs. Yeah. But like, you're not going, you don't want to sit down with like the whole record. Like you listen to the crew and you probably listen to like, get about halfway through the first side. And you're like, okay, like this is, yeah. this is this, it, the crew. I th- really think drags. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's too many songs. I think that might've been my problem with it as well. Like there's a certain sameness as it wears on where I'm like, the songs don't <clears throat> have enough character. They don't differentiate between each other enough for me to really grasp onto anything. So, whereas this, this record in particular, it's short, it's to the point and, but all the songs, there's a, they're distinct, you know, yeah. which is really nice. But, um, so a band that a lot of, um, hardcore kids, especially dudes that early on I learned as I was getting into hardcore punk, that was just unilaterally something somebody loved people loved. I've never had a great affinity for them, but I respect them. Um, every one of my friends just about stands for them pretty hard, but like the cure is like a much loved band throughout hardcore. Probably I bet it's the same way in Boston, but especially around here, <clears throat> excuse me. All my friends are like, yeah, the cure, you don't like the cure. I'm like, they're fine. You know, but so like seeing them out here, I'm like, yep, that tracks. Cause I don't know. I mean, were they before hardcore for you? No, they were kind of, kind of at the same time. 
Um, like, and I, 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 I picked like a lot of, I picked like kind of like musical journey bands, for, like my musical journey. Like that's kind of how I picked what we, what we have on here. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I think that, you know, I found the cure at a time when I wouldn't say I was open-minded, but I think that I was becoming a little bit open-minded because like I had grown up, you know, like classic rock radio, yes. metal, you know, like classic rock radio and metal, like, and when I say metal, like Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. motley crew def leopard so mm -hmm. i guess hard rock even you could say but sure. like going from that and then you know like finally like you know it wasn't till like you know around eighth grade for me that i like discovered like metallica and slayer and megadeth yeah. and stuff like that and then sort of you know the next year or so after that being introduced to punk and hardcore um you know, even though at the time I wouldn't have thought that The Cure was a punk band, um, you know, but finding them around the same time, my aunt actually loaned me a copy of of um, Standing on a Beach, um, which is a great introduction to the band because it's it's the singles, uh, which is also something that amazes me. But like just getting these singles and and really like the the earlier singles, which are very you know it's very post punk. It's like sparse and you know, fits in with that. It was just definitely a stepping stone um, where, you know, it, probably I spent most of my time listening to, to punk and hardcore in, in like my teenage high school years. But like, there's like a couple bands, like I wasn't even really that into the Smiths when I was in high school as much, mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I am now. Um, but we, another band that we all listened to was the Smiths because you're at a party and like, the the progressives are gonna put the smiths on and it's like okay i can this i can deal with like um but yeah the cure um those those early singles like that it's just like that sparse post-punk but it's just the fact that that whole like that whole record is just a-sides um like and they're all it's just like one hit after another which the other thing that i think is crazy is that's almost seen as like this career benchmark for the cure because it's like they have all the lps that are before that and then they mm -hmm. put up this comp compilation album of singles and then they haven't even released just like heaven which is their biggest u.s song ever and then disintegration which is like the record that everyone is like Knows. yeah like disintegration and then they still put out like what five more records after that or however yeah. many records they've put out they've Put out since then um it's crazy that they have like this they have like this full perfect career before disintegration before kiss me kiss me kiss me and it's like they just have tracks like like they yeah i think i think if i was to pick one that that would be the record i'd go with as well you know because it, it it's more to my taste but stuff later on just becomes more um lush like more beautiful and elegant and and i appreciate that about them but i really like the starkness when they were playing with that because it falls in line with how i felt about warsaw warsaw joy division um killing joke and a lot of post-punk bands where everything was very not necessarily minimalist that might be the wrong word but that's sort of like well it, it, it's aggressive in this weird more well thought out way and even the cure i mean not necessarily aggressive but that that sort of playing with that open space as far as the starkness of it is, you know, it's, 
it's bleak and that that's aggressive in its own way.
but I, I've I've always respected them, but I never I never sank my teeth to. But man, my friends love them. And then of course the Smiths. And then there's always the who do you prefer? You know, and some friends are Smiths, some friends are the Cure. It just depends, you know, on their mood that day. Um, I think that you know, I don't want to call the Smiths one note, but the Smiths sound like the Smiths, you know, like. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the, I mean, the cure sounds like the cure, obviously like Robert Smith is always going to sound like Robert Smith, but like the cure took more chances. If you look at like three imaginary boy, three imaginary boys slash boys don't cry, whichever version of that. Cause that's really like the post-punk, like that's really like the the post-punk record. But then, you know, they do that, that arc of 17 seconds, faith and pornography, which are like, just these like really like, they're they're like they're gloomy they're they're a little disturbed like pornography is a jarring record it's like it's noisy um you definitely see some roots of my bloody valentine in pornography um you know and and sort of that like proto it's like almost like proto shoegaze um happening because like it's just like so it's so noisy and it's also like lyrically it's 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 just like very gloom very dark um uh, but i love that one feels more dense than the records that preceded it yeah faith is faith is like faith is them i think trying to work their way up to that but it's also them playing with sparseness and it's like it's a little more airy um i think faith and pornography are my two favorite cure albums um there was a young there was a young lady i i interviewed real early on in the podcast and she she's in her 20s and she picked a cure and uh she picked pornography. Yeah. And I, I asked her, I said, what about this one? She goes, it was the first one I heard and it's the one I love the best. And I was just like, that's pretty cool. You know, cause you'd figure it'd be something, you know, casting no shade upon her age or anything like that. But you figure it might be something a little more later on, something that people are, you know, that's more readily available, more familiar for, for people who are just getting into stuff. But she went straight for the jugular and said, pornography was my favorite, you know? Well, also, I feel like, feel like, you know, I've, I just have satellite radio because it's, I have it in my car and, you know, I keep it on the, I keep it on the, the whatever, whatever the progressive station is on there. First wave, keep it on first wave. And it really is only on until I like plug my phone in and listen to podcasts on my way to work. Um, But like, how often do I turn my car on and it's either playing boys don't cry or um, just like heaven. Like, I feel like, I feel like that station plays one of those two songs almost every hour. Hey, let me pause for one second, okay? Okay. Give me one second here. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. What you didn't hear was my buddy Max uh, whimpering a bit. I had to go see what was going on. He wanted out because there's a um, a small thing of rabbits outside my back oh. door that rode into a thing. He wants to get at them. He came in the house the other day and I didn't see him. And he, he had already torn one of their heads off and had oh. it. And I'm like, so he's out there whimpering because he hears him rustling. He wants out that one door. And I'm like, nah, dude, we're, we're, not, <laughs> we're not doing that. Um, so like speaking of like tearing the heads off of animals, let's talk about Black Sabbath. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think Black Sabbath, um, probably like formative, formative for me, probably the most important band, um, you know, and in many ways, but I think for me on like my, me getting into hard, heavy music, I think that Black Sabbath is far and away the most important band that I, that I, that I discovered at an early age. Um, and, you know, again, like growing up on classic rock radio, like, you know, listening to MMS, you know, how often did you hear songs off of Paranoid? Um, you know, that was, it was very like radio, like that was classic rock record radio programming at the time. But I think the big thing for me was discovering the album Paranoid in my dad's record collection and getting the whole picture, getting the whole picture that Ozzy with that ridiculous cross in the gatefold and like just, uh, you know, hearing the songs, not inner, not just the singles interspersed, but hearing the songs like back to back to back to back and then flipping the rate record over. And then like, you know, hearing, rat salad and hearing planet caravan because you know those just aren't songs that you're going to hear on the radio usually um but yeah like that i actually um that's one of the things um i still have that cop i still have my dad's copy of that record it's like one of the one of the few things like i have uh from his and i'm just glad that i i I grabbed that and i've you know i still still listen to that, that that album
It's just, it's such a great record, but also just the fact that like everything that came after it owes such a debt to what, like probably like everything, 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 everything that we're talking about, everything that we'll ever talk about. I think that in some way owes some debt back to Black Sabbath, which, you know. Yeah, you and I are in the same place on that exactly because, you know, I don't know how many episodes you listen to or listen to any of them, but one of the things I tell people it's you know sabbath is my favorite band aside from voivod those are my two favorite bands but exactly like you without black sabbath i would not have taken a chance on other things yeah it's, I'm, I'm with you on that for sure about leading to other discoveries i think it's also crazy too like when we think about how like how easy it is to listen to music now like how, and just like how ubiquitous music is even a band like black sabbath that like i had paranoid and I remember, I don't know why I remember this. I remember I was in the car, my mom probably, and we were listening to Z-Rock. She was like, letting me listen to Z-Rock, if you oh remember that. God. Yes, I do. Um, it was around and, for, what, uh, two years maybe, right? Something like that. And yeah. uh, the song Black Sabbath came on. It's like the, which is like such a weird radio pick because like, it, you know, it starts off with the rain, and like the whole thing. And then like, it, you know, it just kicks in with the tritone the you know the devil's chord and yeah. i heard it and i was like what is this like i had no like even though i had like heard paranoid the album like had the album for years i heard that first that first that first cut and i heard it and i was like oh my god what is this and then they came on and they're like yeah that's that's black sabbath and i was like wait wait what am i doing with my life that like i'm just like listening to paranoid and i think i, I think i had paranoid and master of reality yeah, which is a great record too. I love that one as well. Um, I actually might like Master of Reality more than Paranoid at this point, but it, I'm with what, you on that as well. I think at but what I love point? At what point do you not need to listen to Paranoid anymore? You know, like how many, like some of those songs. I only just, like. I only if I listen to it 
and I'm listening to it in my car, I, I will skip Iron Man yeah. occasionally. And I will skip Paranoid occasionally just because, like you said, classic rock radio program those songs to death. The other one being War Pigs, but War Pigs is so dynamic compared to those two that you find new things. This might be hyperbole, but it feels like you're finding new things every time you listen to it. And the other two are pretty much like single and single. And they're great songs by yeah. any measure. Any band would die to have written those songs. Oh, exactly. But, you know, those, it's how I felt about the Misfits in the 90s. It's just so ubiquitous. Like, I need to turn my brain off from it for a while, you know? Yeah, that's uh, that's another that's another band that, like, I don't really, I don't really, like, find myself liking. Like, I, I'll listen to the Misfits a little bit. And, of course, like, I'll, I'll listen to them in October. And then I'm just like, okay, I'm. I'm done. For, I'm done yeah. for the year. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, except that, again, but there's a couple tracks that I'm just always like, oh, they could write a fucking song. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just well, especially in our in our little sphere of in, our little world, they were just everywhere at one point. And I'm like, man, I just need to. Even though they were formative for me, I'm like, I need to step away from this because there's other stuff out there, and I, I'm hearing this all the fucking time. So. <laughs> But that's how, how I felt about Par the song Paranoid and the song Iron Man, but they're amazing songs. So how far do you go with Black Sabbath? Uh sabotage, but I still own Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die, because there are a couple songs on each that I like. And do you do you mess with like Dio Sabbath? I do, but I almost treat it like a completely different band. And I would say um another one is Born Again. That's really I remember, good. Too. I remember Born Again. See, yes. that's the thing too. Is like I had Born Again, but that again, that's like a completely different band because it is uh, a completely different band. But I love the record. It's you know, um, yeah. With the Dio, the Dio stuff, it, it there are still definitely it's still Sabbath, but his vocals are so prominent, and you can hear what he's doing with the songwriting and how he's helping construct the songs. That it's very much, you know, I, I was kind of happy when they did that heaven and hell lp and they just named the band heaven and hell and i'm like yeah that's cool like i like that distinction you know i i have people who think that the dio version of sabbath is better than the ozzy one i call these people insane but they're great records they're great records you know um, yeah i wouldn't go that far um no. but i am uh, so so to kind of on the same topic um I prefer Paul Diano Iron Maiden to Bruce Dickinson Iron Maiden. Okay. And I do, I know there's I know there's people that like you tell that to some people and they're like, oh, that's crazy. But like, oh, those first two records, especially the first album, just has like such an edge to it. I I love those first two albums. I like the Bruce Dickinson stuff up through and including somewhere in time, but then I just don't have any interest in the band after that. But um yeah, I I have plenty of friends who only listen to Paul Diano stuff. Yeah, they're like Dickinson's too much, and I'm like, well, the problem is, and I get what they're saying. Yeah, because there's a certain quality to his voice that is enjoyable. But if you're looking for somebody who's hitting the right notes, he's not doing it all the time. No, and it's it's wild how much how long he's been able to get away with it. But it's just how the songs are constructed constructed and how he delivers it. You know. Um, you know, my, my favorite songs are Bruce Dickinson tracks, but I prefer 
Deano's vocal style over Bruce Dickinson, hands down. But he wasn't, he wouldn't have been the right guy to sing those songs. So that's, it's kind oh, of, it's a weird thing. But yeah, those oh. first two albums are fucking great. Like Wrathchild off of Killers. Come on, that song's awesome. Um, it's funny. You, uh, I also could not get into Seventh Son. Like that's, I stopped, I stopped with Somewhere, Somewhere in Time as well. Um, yeah. And, and I actually listened, I listened to Somewhere in Time recently. Um, it holds and, up. It's a pretty good record. There are a lot of, well, re- really good songs on there, you know. But um, yeah, something about, so I don't know what it is about Seventh Son, but I, it just never, it never did it for me. And I don't know if maybe when it came out, I was too punk to appreciate it or like, or was in one of those like, well, it's not punk, so it's not for me, like sort of, sort of things. But I just never, I don't know if I never gave it the chance. But I also never go. Back I was just I was really turned off by Can I Play With Madness. And, and I, was I also like, did I was not f- like that. I was full on into punk, too, but I was still like listening to tons of metal. And but I was just like, this song ain't getting it. And then I tried to sit with the record and just nothing grabbed me. You know, like I said, at least somewhere in time, there's at least four or five really well written songs on her that are just good. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the production necessarily, but it's still Maiden, you know. Yeah. And then after that, it's just like, you know, but I, when it comes to that band, if if somebody who hasn't heard them before, I just tell them go listen to Live After Death, you know, because that that's the best greatest hits record you could probably ever want, even though it's yeah. it's all live, you know. But yeah. you have all the songs, and then if they like those songs, like, well, why are these ones different? And I'm like, well, then you need to go listen to these first two albums because that's why those songs are wildly different yeah. than most of the stuff on here, you know. But yeah, Paul Diano is amazing. I loved his vocals, but. I like his vocal style better, like I said, but my favorite songs are in the Bruce Dickinson era. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. But um, yeah, Sabbath is just, they're just, they're foundational for so much stuff. It's just, you know, people say it, but I don't think they always believe it, you know? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I It's Ozzy Sabbath is, is just like, they, they should just be considered like, again, that's just like a Mount Rushmore. Like Ozzy Sabbath is like, Ozzy Sabbath is all four spots on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, pretty much all four of those guys, just those four. You know, um, talk about a drummer who like like Mackie, who is like plays really open and loose, but is a metronome. Bill Ward, you know, when I started listening to hip hop, how many times I heard somebody sample those drum breaks from Behind the Wall of Sleep? I'm like, that's Bill Ward, you know, like. Yeah. That if it was if it wasn't Clyde Stubblefield from James Brown or somebody else from like Chic, it was that. And I was just, like early hip hop, that is. I was like, that's it's insane. like it's like John Bonham, Bill Ward, and then like and then like all those crazy like James Brown break beats. Like Yeah. 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 But how how much of that too is like, I mean, not like not necessarily early hip hop, but like I, I guess I guess if we're talking about the the mid to late 80s it's still early hip-hop how much of that is just rick rubin like going through his record collection well rick rubin and a lot of those guys were listening to other music yeah. you know like a perfect example a, a group that was indicative of we're listening to everything was epmd yeah i mean those guys you clearly know that they were listening to other music outside of like r&b and soul and funk you well know, DM, you dmc talks about it a lot too yeah and you can tell like you can tell when whenever you hear Chuck talk about music in general, well, like, he talks about craft work a lot. Yeah, you know, how much he liked Autobot, and I'm like, okay, that's a, it makes sense, but it's kind of doesn't like it's you know, um, 
But uh, so let's let's wrap this up with tragedy. Yeah, uh, vengeance. Um, that is that was a huge record for a ton of people. Like when that came out, that like put a lot of people on notice as far as like you know quote-unquote crust goes you know i mean because prior to that for me it was always my favorite was nausea like i loved nausea because they were like really incorporating a lot of metal in the same way that early sacrilege did but didn't quite go as metal as that they kind of rode that line really well then tragedy came out put out a bunch of records that just what well three lps and then that more recent stuff right i'm trying to think do they have four lps i know there's actually there's four because there's the fourth LP is kind of uh, it wasn't really I don't know I, I should probably revisit it because I don't know if I gave it much of a listen but like and, and I got into them I got into them on this album yeah um, it's in hindsight and I don't know why but I feel like I missed a lot of stuff in the late 90s and it might have been because we're playing shows all the time or other stuff was going on. But in Boston, you know, we had like, there was sort of like, you know, the straight edge and the hardcore scene. And then there was like the rat scene that was more punk. And that was like the trouble and the bruisers and dropkick Murphys. And like those bands like played there. Not that other bands didn't play the rat, but like there were a lot of matinees at the rat. And then there was like this other, there was like a crust like sort of the harvest co-op scene that was booking a lot of shows. And I, I really missed out on seeing bands like, like death threat, death, no space threat. Um, and like, uh, crudos and like a lot of those other bands. And if you think about like this whole, like youth crew revival or hardcore revival that was, was happening then, like those are the bands we should have been going to see. And maybe I, maybe it's just me that was like, I wasn't seeking it out or didn't know about it, but like you listen to those, those death threat records. And like, that's, that's like, they were playing, they were playing fast, like straight, straightforward, hardcore, you know, just like, and it might've also been, you know, you know, the fans, you know, I don't know also how welcomed, like, some of us would have been at their shows because they just saw us as jocks that like, you know. Well, I mean, I can speak that to someone because I was doing Don Austin when this record came out and we probably fit more into that world. But we also felt like outsiders because, well, first of all, you've got Clint in your band. You're already, you're already an odd looking band. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's one of my best friends. In fact, his kids and my kids had a play date recently. You know, I mean, he's somebody I, I cherish and I love quite a bit. But we were also, you know, we're the same age as you. We were in our 30s. And a lot of those bands, yeah. not Death Threat necessarily, but a lot of the bands that we were playing with were young kids. Um, We played a place in Boston, not Boston, but Roxbury. It was this basement. The, of, the Berwick. Yeah, the Berwick Institute. We played there with a band called Close Call. Who yeah. Might have been more in line with what you guys were doing, but I don't think anybody at that particular show vibed them in any sort of way that felt, you know, uh, weird or odd. But I can tell you that there probably was that schism. We just fell outside of all of it because, well, one, we were a band from Ohio that wasn't from Cleveland. And 
we were older and we just kind of didn't care about those things as much. <laughs> no, we were just like, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I can see what you're talking about to some extent. And also something that I feel now, even though I'm, I try to keep, you know, my toe in the water quite a bit, I'm missing all sorts of stuff, you know, for every imploders and cotard seven inch I get, I'll get the first gel seven inch, but never hear another thing from them just because I'm like, you know, I'm just not, it, stuff just passes me. You've only got so much bandwidth and that might've been what you were going through even back then. You've got this much bandwidth. So you, you pick the one thing, you're like, okay, where am I going to go with this? And you kind of stay in, in your, your area, not out of it, not out of anything other than like, well, that's a lot, you know? I think the other thing is that you had to work to find a lot of those shows, you know, like they might've been in basements. They might've been in random churches. They might've been in, you random know, houses. Like, yeah. So <laughs> like that could have been, whereas, you know, the rat, the rat, you could just walk up and pay your entry fee and you're at the rat and, yeah. or like, you know, there was the middle East. There's like, there's a bunch of other clubs. We had some, we had some halls where we would book shows and, whatever, but like you had to work more for it. Um, I think though, hearing this album specifically, the time that it came out um, really did open a lot of stuff. Cause you know, as, as hard as we try and we think that like, you know, we go on these podcasts and we, we think that we know all this stuff about music and there's still so much more to learn yeah. is there's still so many blind spots. Even when I was like, you know, late twenties, early thirties. And like, you know, going to shows all the time and checking out new bands and buying records and doing all this stuff. And, you know, like I'm one of those people who like, I get the record. I want the whole package. I I'm reading the lyric sheet. I'm reading the thanks list. I'm like, Oh, what's this band? What's this band? You know, I'm like reading zines and, and all of this stuff, but like tragedy one, that sound is just, it's just such this record just sounds so good. Yeah. It, whatever, whatever genre it falls into, it's just like such a good record. But then it's like, Oh, what about all this Japanese hardcore that I haven't, that I haven't listened to? And like, Oh, should I go back and listen to bastard? Yeah. 100%. Yes. Like, but yeah. like, should I go back and listen to wind of pain? Should I go check out, you know, judgment? Should I check out? And then also just sort of all of these other, all of these sort of tragedy offshoot bands. Cause it's like, Oh, these guys, these guys wrote a great record and they're all in like 10 other bands yeah. and cop out death threat. They were all part of like, there's a lineage there between those three bands. Well, and so like, it's like the, the, they're, they're seeing, so it's like cop out talk is poison. Yeah. Death threat, um, criminal damage. Um, um, why am I, there's there's another one I'm I'm thinking of and I I it's I'm totally blowing it but yeah like that just that whole that whole um that whole scene that like you could just sit down and do an offshoot of of tragedy the tragedy death threat guys oh from ashes rise um yep. um but like you could listen to those his and hero's then gone his hero's gone <laughs> like um but like. And then like, what were those bands pulling from? Cause it was yeah. just like, so, so this was like really a gateway, but I also think that because of when this came out, like what was, what state was, was hardcore 
like in where it was like all of those all of those like hardcore revival bands youth crew revival bands from this from the 90s had broken up and they had either all gone on to be in like like you know some ripping off some other type of new york hardcore or mm -hmm. you know trying to be in like you know trying to be in like hate breed type bands or you know or they were trying to be american nightmare right and hearing tragedy was just like such a breath of fresh air even though you know it is just kind of this amalgamation of of all of those bands that they were in and, and it really does wear their like they kind of wear their influences on their sleeve but they just do it so well yeah that, um yeah um you know i love this record um i did not coin the term but like it's arena crust because it just sounds so big um <laughs> uh, it's so funny because like when people talk about that sort of thing i think the only band i really ride for is skit system but then people are like you don't like disfear and i'm like no that's too that's almost too much for me that's like too big of a sound there's a point where you have to sort of like rein it in a bit so it maintains that sort of level of like intimacy at the same time even though it sounds monstrous um tragedy does that well too you know they they, they have a big sound but it's 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 reined in you can still connect with it pretty closely you know it doesn't feel like it's overproduced you know so um i was uh i was not on the uh the 185 uh best albums of the 2000s uh the, the episode for that because i thought that doing a, a playlist for that was going to be too hard for me to come up with like 100 songs 100 albums or 100 releases from the 2000s yeah. um just because i feel like i kind of fell off a little bit in the late um in the late like the late aughts um and uh if i would have been on this would have been this would have ended up being the number one uh, because a, a bunch of other people had it rated high but i would put this i would put this at number one i think this is the best hardcore punk release of, of the 21st century.
Well, this was a lot of fun, dude. I'm so glad we finally got to do it. I'm sorry I didn't cancel on you the first time. Oh, no, no worries. I got little ones and then now I'm sick. So, you know, Um, but hopefully if you come back to Ohio, let me know. Maybe we'll hang out for the first time ever, even though we probably should have in the past. All right, that's it. That's all I got for you. I want to thank Brian for taking the time to uh, hang out and talk with me. And first, patience. Uh, we recorded this a while back, and I was just finally able to edit it. So I appreciate his patience, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to chat again sometime soon. Uh, if you want to chat with me on, uh, th- maybe not chat, but if you want to communicate with me through social media, you can do so. Uh, Instagram at bleachmouth underscore postscript, Facebook at bleachmouth postscript. The email is bleachmouthps at gmail.com. You can listen to all the episodes on the website bleachmouth.mkultrazine.com. Uh, you can also find them on Apple Podcasts and uh, whatever whatever other podcatcher you might be using. Uh, it'd be great if you left a five star review. Uh, and said some nice words. It wouldn't be great if you left something shitty, but, you know, people are going to do what they want to do, and I'm not the boss of them, and, you know, uh, that's just the way the world works. But anyway, I've got more episodes coming up soon, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll we'll see each other again. Oh, hey, uh, this summer got some really cool show announcements coming up, so uh, please stay tuned for that. All right, thanks. <laughs>